Open up that crystal Pepsi and get comfortable. This is Dope Nostalgia. Everybody. Hey, it's Naomi here with Dope Nostalgia, episode 64. And my very special guest today is a lady I've wanted to talk to for a very long time because she had one huge uh, solo album back in the early 90s that I was spinning constantly. Absolutely loved it. She had a couple big radio hits, one called Peace of My Heart and the other Hold You Tight. Fantastic record, lots of great tunes, and it deserves a revival. And I can't wait to hear her make more music again. Everyone, I want to welcome to the show Tara Kemp. She shared a very enlightening and wonderful and inspiring conversation. Such a great lady. So much good to say about Tara. She'll be on the show shortly. And I want to invite you once again to call that hotline number that we have. We actually have a hotline, and I haven't gotten any voicemails yet. I'm like, what's going on? I want to hear from you guys, and I want to share what you have to say right here on the show. You can give us a call at 780-851-8785. Leave us a message and tell us what you love about the show, what you want to see on the show, what sucks. Just let me know. Give us a call. And uh, we'll definitely take up your suggestions. And if you want, let us know if you want to be on the show as well, and we'll play your recording. How's that sound? I want to take a moment to thank our brand new Patreon, Kelly, from nomoregamesradio.com. Check them out. They play all kinds of classic stuff, just like us from the same era, 80s and 90s. All these great DJs there. nomoregamesradio.com. Kelly, thank you for subscribing. And I have another cool announcement to make that starting on March 13th, those guys are going to start playing Dope Nostalgia right on the radio show. They're going to take some of our very favorite episodes and share them with the world and their audience. So thank you so much. I love you guys. nomoregamesradio.com. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. We're also going to be starting up something else that's really cool. For New Kids on the Block fans, um, we're going to be doing monthly Zoom parties. So uh, you'll find more information about that on our Facebook page and some of our social media, or more quiet social media. If you want to join and uh, get involved with the New Kids on the Block monthly Zoom party, some of them we're going to be raising money for the favorite charities of the guys in New Kids on the Block. Um, <clears throat> what if We're just going to take that opportunity and run with it to do something good for charity and have some fun at the same time. So that's something great to look forward to. Okay, here's a little bit of information on today's guest, Tara Kemp. Wikipedia Moment. Tara Kemp is an American singer who was signed to the Giant Records label. She is best known for her two top 10 1991 singles, Hold You Tight and Peace of My Heart. Hold You Tight achieved RIAA gold status and reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100. It was followed by the other top 10 single, Peace of My Heart, which reached number seven in July 1991 on the Billboard Hot 100. She also recorded a song titled Action Speaks Louder Than Words, which was featured on that soundtrack for the Fox television series Beverly Hills 90210. Come Correct was also another song she released in 1994. And then, in 2013, Kemp launched a Facebook page and YouTube channel containing new photography, uploads of vintage material, and teasers to a new track called Water. In 2014 and 2015, Kemp revealed in interviews that she was going to work on new material. In 2016, Kemp released a song called Paris in Spring, featuring Dwayne Wiggins, her first single in 22 years, as a charity single to benefit victims of the November 2015 Paris attacks. Now, just recently, in January 2021, Kemp revealed plans to independently release her shelved sophomore album and remastered versions of her 1991 singles. I've been trying to get this lady on the show for a while. I'm very excited to present today, Miss Tara Kemp. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Tara. Um, this Thank show, you, Amy. It's called Dope Nostalgia. So we talk to, to a lot of artists that were primarily um, big hits in the 90s, and then we want to know what they're doing now. So um, I do have a series of questions to ask you, too, about those days where you were first coming out with your album. And how did you get started and signed to Giant Records? Um, so initially... Um... I was signed to Big Beat Records in New York, 
Um, so they had, uh, their big hit was Jomanda. Remember that song? Um, hey, Mr. DJ, playing my song. All right, Left to Body Rock all night long. You remember that song? Yes, that sounds familiar. So what happened was um, I did a, I did the song. It was a little independent record. I sang on somebody else's record. And um, then the record went to uh, DJ Pool for KMEL. And it made its way to Hosh Gorelli, who is the music director for KMEL. And he played it on his show, Pick to Click. Mm. And it got an overwhelmingly positive response. And so then he started calling his friends at labels and stuff like that. And that's how we ended up with Craig Kalman at Big Beat Records in New York for the single. Yeah. Um, and then the single came, was leaked out and we ended up being in a bidding war uh, between Atlantic Records and Giant Records. We ended up on Giant, and then Craig and and um, Craig Kalman and Big Beat Records signed to Atlantic, mm-hmm. and um, so Craig Kalman retained the rights to Hold You Tight, mm-hmm. which was the single. So he worked that twelve inch, um, and then the rest of it went to Giant. But I was on actually on Big Beat Giant. Uh, Atlantic and reprise. So did Giants <laughs> at the same time? I was on four labels. Okay. So what happened when Giant Records folded then at that point? That was later on. Like uh, I'm just kind of skipping ahead when I say that. Mm-hmm. But um did did that get absorbed by like Atlantic or how did that work? I don't know because I left the label before that happened. Okay. Um so I'm not really sure. Gotcha. How it ended up folding. But there were some problems with the label. There were, um, they didn't really have a marketing uh, team Mm. or department. Uh, It was very young, new label. Um, So they really made an impact in crossover radio. Mm. And they had a great promotional team for radio. And they hadn't had any hit records Mm -hmm. at that point. So they were looking for a hit. And so that's why they were so hot to get Hold You Tight because it was already, everybody knew it was going to be a hit already at that time before I was signed to any major label. Mm -hmm. So, um, because it was getting radio play and it was getting uh, written up. There was a magazine at that time, music magazine called Hitmakers. Yeah. And it was getting written up in Hitmakers a lot. And um, so it was just a hot record. That's what they were looking for as a hit record to set up their radio Mm -hmm. uh, promotion a department so basically I went around and did a bunch of promotion for giant records and um and then after that telling me bad came out mm-hmm. and um and Jade was on that label as well um Mickey Howard was on the label um who else was on that label those are the, the main ones I remember when I was when I was there yeah. And then when I got to the second album to record the second album, I got moved from, I was, uh, initially I was working with an A&R guy named Wendell Green, great guy. Mm. Um, and then they moved me to work with Cassandra Mills, who was the A&R person that um, worked with Color Me Bad. And um, it didn't go well with her. So um <laughs> I tried to move to uh, just make a lateral move to Atlantic Records where Craig was because Craig, um, the great thing about Craig Kalman and who is now the CEO of Atlantic Records, by the way. Mm. Um, But the cool thing about Craig is that Craig uh, was a DJ, really great DJ and a real music aficionado. He had a huge record collection in his place. Um, And I think it's probably 10 times bigger now, but um, but he really understood music. He knew what was happening, uh, what was up and coming in music. Um, and so I really wanted to, I had always wanted to stay with Craig from the beginning. I didn't really want to go to China. I wanted to stay with Craig and go to Atlantic with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other people that were involved in my, in my contract, I was signed to a production company. And um the one of the team members of the production company, his um, uncle was Howard Weitzman, who's a really big uh, music, not really music industry attorney, he's an entertainment attorney, but he also is a defense, criminal defense attorney, he's famous for the DeLorean case. He was also OJ Simpson's original attorney. Oh, wow, yeah. 
So he was really good friends with Craig Kalman, not Craig Kalman, I'm sorry, really good friends with Irving Azoff. Mm. And sorry, wait a second, I have hair in my eye. So uh, Howard Weisman was uh, good friends with Irving Azoff and found out about this record and that his nephew was involved in it. And so he called Jake up and basically said, I'm going to be your attorney. You need me to help you navigate this stuff. And basically what he did was sold us down the river to Irving Azoff. Hmm. So um, really would have been better strategically and um, in every way for us to have gone with Atlantic, yeah. I think. Um, when we first when we first had the independent, uh, the record was out that had Hold You Tight on it. It had two songs on it. Hold You Tight was actually the B side and the oh. A side never made it to a record. But um, when KML had, had Hosh Gurley had called all these people and the two people that came to, to try to sign the initial 12 inch was Big Beat Records and Atlantic Records. So, um, you know, they had shown interest from the beginning. They're an established label. I mean, Aretha Franklin, come on, who doesn't want to be on Atlantic Records, right? As a singer, that's where you really want to go. So, but we were, you know, I was young and naive. And um, so we were manipulated into that deal with with Irving at Giant Records. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's how I ended up there and on like four different labels at one time. Okay. Yeah, I, I can imagine like you're new artist, you're ready to make put out an album and do your thing, but all that uh, back background um, stuff going on with the label would be a little bit overwhelming at the time, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's a, just a lot of uh, a lot of drama, a lot of politics. You know, it's um, the music business is uh, is a crazy business, yeah. and. Um, it's um part of it's about money but part of it's also about power mm-hmm. and um you know so i really was a product i wasn't really uh you know giant didn't look at me as an artist really or treat me like an artist they treated me like what they needed to set up their label so i wasn't really um nurtured there mm-hmm. as an artist i wasn't promoted um when I say they didn't really have a marketing team, when I went and did my interview at BET with um, Donnie Simpson, he didn't even know I had an album out. Yeah. yeah. That's so odd. That's odd, right. <laughs> and then that was their big, you know, well, you didn't sell that many albums. Like, well, I had two top 10 singles. So if I didn't sell albums, maybe you should have marketed it, you know? <laughs> maybe if someone knew I had an album out, they'd have bought it. Bought it. But, um, but mainly it was, um, there was a lot of things they wanted me to do that I wasn't comfortable with. And um, I had actually had a meeting with um, Doug Morris, who was the CEO of, uh, of Atlantic Records at that time. And um, it was like probably the best music industry meeting I'd ever had. He was the most, um, uh, positive and encouraging music business executive I'd met at that point. I had a great meeting with him. He basically was like, yes, we want you at Atlantic. Welcome to the family, all of that stuff. And we thought it was a done deal. And then Irving changed his mind and wouldn't let me go. So I figured, you know, I, I wanted to go to Atlantic. Um, Irving wouldn't let me go. So I requested to be released from my contract, expecting that... Um, I would then be able to sign to Atlantic, mm-hmm. but that was not the case. So after I left Giant Records, Atlantic wouldn't sign me. I couldn't get signed to any other label. Um, I was still signed to a production deal with my producers. So they put out an independent record, but they weren't able to get any distribution. Mm. So I was basically shut out of the industry.
have a bunch of music that's like there that you can eventually release or like is it, have still a lot of music. <laughs> is it still being held or like do you know ability no. to I do have that all now? my music um i actually have a bunch of um session recordings from that era mm-hmm. for my second album all the demos so, um, which I am planning to release next year, you know, is my 30th anniversary okay. for Hold You Tight and Peace okay. in My Heart. So I am actually re-recording those two songs, uh, remastering them. Uh, and uh, so I'll be putting out a special edition for my 30th anniversary. And I'm also planning to put out the, um, my demos from the second album. Wonderful. So it's all, you know, they're not perfect. They're not like um, finished product, Mm -hmm. but um, for the fans that are there and I have really great fans that have stuck by me for 30 years (laughs) Yes, with basically getting nothing from me. So, um, so anyway, I want to give back to them and let them have, they've all been requesting new music. Um, so the first thing I'll be doing is dropping this and, um, the old vintage material and, but I've been making music all the time. I have just cause I left the business doesn't mean I left music. Music is part of me. So exactly. I write all the time. I work with other musicians all the time. I've been on other people's records. Um, I put out a couple of records myself. Um, but yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of music to put out. I just haven't been in a position to be able to do it until now. Good, good. I'm glad that this, this is happening. It's going to be so exciting it's to hear it. It's going to finally happen. I can't even believe it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, when I remember buying your album, just being so excited about it because I liked every track. Like I didn't feel like it was an album wow. that had filler on it. And I would say that Thank my you. my favorite track would have been The Way You Make Me Feel. Oh, cool. I really like that one. It had like so a rockier edge to it. So that track, I have a really cool story to tell you about that track. So yeah. The Way You Make Me Feel was written by a friend of mine, Jennifer Jones, uh, who's now in Nashville and has a band called The Willies, if y'all are interested. Um, but she um, she got those tracks from Tone Capone. Do you know who Tone Capone is? No. I got five on it. 
You know oh, that song I got five yes. on it? That's yes. Tom Capone. Okay. It. He's the, the producer for that. So he actually wrote the original tracks for that song. Um, so indirectly, he was kind of a part of, of that record, which was cool. I didn't know, Tone and I didn't know each other at that time. Um, but we were part of kind of the same circle of people. Like we knew a lot of the same people and everything, but we recently, uh, I worked with him on a Scarface record. And um, so we got to meet and connect. And so it was really cool. It was like, you're my long lost cousin. I <laughs> never met before. You know? <laughs> like part of the same musical family uh, or area. What was your favorite track on that album? Um. I think I liked the way you make me feel too. Um, I liked Monday Love. Monday Love was a really fun one. Uh, that would have been fun to release. Um, I don't know. I like the the whole idea for me with doing the album is that I wanted. I didn't want it to even though the first two singles sounded very similar to each other. I don't want the rest of the album to sound like the same song over and over again. No, I wanted it to have like listen like as if you were listening to the radio you're getting a little bit of variety still all like kind of r&b dance vibe but yeah but um but mix it up a little bit so it wasn't monotonous because it's one of the things that i don't like if i'm listening to an album just like sounds like the same after the same after the same i get bored right you know yeah so i i i'm glad people liked it <laughs> oh yeah though so that one that one seemed to have like more I think there was more guitar in it or something like there was something that was a little edgier about that tune that I really yeah. really was drawn to it had that little bit of rock edge to it On Peace of My Heart. On Peace of My Heart, that was Jake. Jake Smith, One Take yeah. Jake. He was one of the producers, yeah, that did the rap. He okay. was a local rapper here before we had our record deal. How much sampling was involved in the album? Because there's, on um, Be My Lover, I swear I hear Flava Flav going like, There's a lot. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm not, you know, I didn't produce the record, so I don't know what all they were, but boy, there was a lot of licensing going on for the sampling everybody and was then everybody was sampling everybody. everybody was sampling and tons of sampling mm -hmm. and I actually had a little beef with my producers about the um the Lynn Collins sample and hold you tight because I'm like why are we sampling why why don't I just sing it you know okay people weren't re doing that at that time they weren't um now instead of doing using a sample and paying somebody any kind of licensing to use that sample now uh people just recreate it mm -hmm. right they re-record it so it sounds the same mm -hmm. that's what they do so anyway that's what um i wanted to do i'm like why is there another singer on my record <laughs> 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 i understand it's lane collins and that's super cool but you know what i mean like why are we paying for that <laughs> and there's half the audience would rec recognize the sample and half the audience would just think that was you anyway a lot of people think it's me yeah and so. a lot of people think it's me on other people's records. That sample on other people's records, people think that's me, right? <laughs> I've had a lot of people like, 
they sampled you on all these different records. Like, no, that's oh. not me. That's Lynn Collins, <laughs> who's amazing. Yeah, everybody was me. everybody was doing it, and I was. I'm going to say 12, 13, around that age at the time when all this was going on. So, so, so many things like that sample, other samples, I always thought that was all original stuff. I didn't find out till mm -hmm. later, like um, Pastime Paradise by Stevie Wonder. I had no right. idea it was Gangster's Paradise. Oh, yeah. Right. So <laughs> yeah, that, that was the, it was a sampling. Big, you know, this, that it was just what was happening at the time, you know, it was all about this kind of, um, hearkening back to other records and, and paying homage to these other records and incorporating them into new music. And that was really what was happening at that time. Uh, it still happens, you know, but like I said, people usually re-record it now. They don't, they don't put samples that much in anymore well, <laughs> that are real samples. And the record label money isn't really there to do all that kind of stuff anymore either. Right. So good, more indie artists doing it on their own, which is nice. Well, that's the exciting thing is that, you know, when my record was out, we didn't have this social media thing happening. We didn't have direct access to our fans. You is know, the, the fans would write letters to the label and then I would get a sack of mail like yeah. three months later or four months later after they got it. So it wasn't a very efficient system <laughs> for connecting with your fans. Yeah. But um but now that we have this and it, it, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out as you can see, I'm like trying to figure out how to do a zoom meeting, but, um, <laughs> but it is really exciting. It's been really fun for me to um, get to meet some of my fans and actually have conversations with them, get to know them. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really fun. You know, it's neat. It's, it, you feel very separate. I felt very isolated from my fans before. Yeah you know but now there's an ongoing connection there and yeah you, there, you there's control. a conversation we're in conversation with each other now. and you, you know what i'm saying and you still That's control cool. that connection on your end too because you can yes. choose whether okay i don't want to or this person might be taking it a little weird i don't know you know so it's it's kind of nice yeah for the most part my fans are really cool that's good that's good <laughs> they're really kind and and um very supportive people yeah. You know, and uh, so it's cool. It's really fun. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you're getting the chance to really embrace that. Um, who were you touring with uh, back in the day and where in the world did you get to go visit that left an impact on you? I think the most um, significant touring that I did was the Club MTV tour, which was the summer of uh, 1991. Mm -hmm. And so that was me, Coloring Bad, Gerardo, ah, yeah, CNC Music Factory, Tony, 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 and Bill Biv DeVoe. That's a huge bill. It was a huge, it was so much fun. <laughs> we, it was like adults and summer camp tour, you know, mm. it was all summer long. We did a, a full shed tour. We got to go to every amusement park in the country in Canada, probably, mm -hmm. um, and rode every roller coaster, which was super fun. We got to, um, you know, they had a, they escorted us to the front of the line to get on the roller coasters and stuff like that. So it was pretty fun. And I, if you're into roller coasters, if you're oh, not, yeah. sorry, but <laughs> I love roller coasters. So it was really fun for me, but it, we had a great time. We still talk about it. Um, you know, uh, Tony, 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 I, I met those there. We're from the same area, right? So we're, we're from the Bay area. Mm -hmm music scene, Oakland, Berkeley kind of music scene. And um, so I met them when it must have been, I think it was in 85. It must have been in 85. Yeah. Um, so I was at the time I was singing backup for Rosie Gaines. Do you know who she is? I've heard the name. So Rosie Gaines, you would remember her um, from, um, the new power generation. So ah, re Prince. remember the song Diamonds and Pearls yep. and Get Off, all that stuff. That's Rosie. Oh, she's amazing. Okay. She's amazing. So that was my first gig was singing backup with Rosie Gaines. And I sang with her for three and a half years, um, supporting her first album uh, called Caring. 
So for any of you who are interested in checking that out, go check it out. Mm. The Caring album from 1985. And um, so we were doing, we were at the Dock of the Bay in Oakland doing, uh, I think it was her record release. I'd already been working with her for a while, but it was like, I think that was the big release party. And everybody who was everybody in town came to the event. She was a big deal in the area, you know? So like Nardo Michael Walden was there. I met Randy Jackson at that event, um, his wife Liz. I met um, Dwayne and Raphael and Tim mm. from Tony, Tony, Tony. That was my first time meeting them. A um, bunch of other people in, in the business here from locally from here. So, and, and I met Don Cornelius, who was, uh, remember Soul Train, Don Cornelius? Yes. He was Rosie's manager at the time. Wow. So it was very interesting <laughs> introduction. But anyway, so I knew them before their record came out. So their record came out shortly after that event and um, became a big hit. Um, hey, Little Walter, right? That was the first one. So getting to go into, and we saw each other a lot. When, when you're working a record and you have a hit record, everybody else that has hit records are also touring and promoting. So there's tons of shows going on. Radio stations are throwing shows. There's all kinds of events. Mm -hmm. And so you come in contact with the same people over and over and over, right? Yep. Um, I did a lot of gigs with Father MC. Um, I did gigs with um, Kathy Dennis. I did gigs with Marky Mark. That'd be a cool pairing, Kathy Dennis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Rick Astley. I did a gig with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there, I actually, I did a gig with Huey Lewis in the news, which nice. was cool. They're from the Bay area too. They were really nice. Um, but anyway, get, so it was always cool to see the guys to, to the Tonys. Cause they, it was like, Oh my God. Yay. Somebody from home, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're on the road, it's like, it's very comforting to have people that, you know, yeah. From like before this, all this stuff happened. So when we got to go on tour together, it was really, really fun. It was just, you know, their whole band is from here. It was, we had a great time. We really had a great time. So we still talk about it to this day. Like, oh my God, remember that? (laughs) (laughs) Remember when we, yes, I remember. That's amazing. Did you uh, get to like travel and do any touring in Europe or Japan or any, anywhere international? I went to Japan. Um, I went to Japan. I went to Trinidad. Trinidad was super fun. I performed with White Snake in Trinidad. Wow, cool! I had the I had a great time there. The people there are super warm and friendly, and it's not like, you know, you go to other places and they put you. You go into you check into the hotel. You're under an alias. You know, it's all about like security and don't let anybody talk to you. Mm-hmm. When I was staying in Trinidad, people were calling my hotel room. Oh hey, you want to come down and eat some some, some food with us? You know, whatever. Anyway, nice. very warm, very friendly. It was no, you know, there wasn't any of that kind of uh, separation, you know, between oh you're a celebrity and we're, you know, it was all it was all just very inclusive and yeah, uh, welcoming. And so it was that was super fun. Um, I performed in Europe. Um, I did kind of after I left. I did a lot of performing in Asia mm-hmm. after I left the, um, the business mm-hmm. <laughs> and stopped recording. Um, yeah, I did some touring in Asia, um, Guam and uh, Bali, uh, the Philippines. Did you get a chance to see the sites and uh, actually explore the country a bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, nice. I'm very fascinated by that part of the world. And so that was really fun for me. I got to really actually lived there for a while lived on Guam oh yeah about six months and then would go to different islands and places and sing it was fun it was interesting is Guam basically like an American base it is not really a base so much anymore but it is a territory so it's like Puerto Rico right they say it's where America starts its day right there's 17 hours ahead of us oh yeah okay that's pretty huge (laughs) yeah I think it's 17. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We got to pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc., etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, Dope Nostalgia has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. When Oopsie Daisy falls, she cries and gets right back up again. Whoops! Oopsie Daisy! New from Tyco. Who did you get to meet um, in the music industry that was big, big influence to you that excited you to, the most to meet? Well, I got to meet Tina Marie, which was really fun. Mm. I did, did an event with her. Um, it was um, uh, Cheryl Lee Roth uh, put together this uh, Diva Simply Singing, and it was. Uh, to raise money for AIDS. Nice. I think it was actually specifically for kids with AIDS. I'm not really sure. I don't recall anymore, but that was a really cool event because there were, it was all females, right? So Tisha Campbell was there. I get to meet her. Mm -hmm. Um, she's lovely. She's really cool. Very down to earth. Um, I, I, I met, uh, Tata Vega was there. Um, you would know Tata. She um, was the voice, the singing voice on The Color Purple. I remember, sister, mm-hmm. you've been on my mind. Right? Gotcha. That's, that's Tata Vega. Um, gosh, I can't even remember who else was there, but there, it was a lot of a lot of people. But it was really, it was really fun to meet Tina Marie, and she was very. Um, supportive and kind and down to earth. Um, so that was very exciting. I got to meet Janet Jackson. We had oh, the same wow. choreographer. So I got to actually hang out with her and meet her. And that was really fun. Mm-hmm. And she's also lovely and very down to earth. Um, and then I met some other people, but briefly, like yeah. I met Madonna briefly. Mm-hmm. It was a hello and goodbye. You know what I mean? I didn't get to <laughs> chat or anything like that. I've met Prince a couple times, again, never chatted or any mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. I met Mariah Carey. Yeah. Uh-huh. She was still new. She, she was, was new. That's she right. was new. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, still had kind of like deer in the headlights, kind of look in her eyes like oh my god yeah what is happening to my life right now (laughs) (laughs) right we were both kind of like overwhelmed with everything Mm -hmm. um but she was you know she's huge already getting getting to be huge but i i really admired her i thought she was uh still think she's incredible talent Mm -hmm. you know and i know back in the day her career pretty much from what i remember her first television appearance was on arsenio hall 
Now, which uh, television appearances do you have that were most memorable for to you? My most memorable uh, television appearance was on the Oprah Winfrey show because I'm a huge Oprah Winfrey fan. That's so that was big. That's probably the biggest. I didn't really get to talk to her. I mean, I talked to her briefly. I just thanked her for being her and doing what she's doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think we all took a picture with her or something at the end. That was like the only time I actually spoke with her. She just introduced me and uh, I performed. It was, um, it was to promote the club MTV tour. Mm -hmm. So we had, um, all of us there performing, but I, I didn't have any interaction with her. I think that, um, was it Gerard? Somebody like taught her how to do some type of dance thing. I don't know. I don't have the tape of it anymore. Doing the whole Rico Suave thing? Something like that. It, yeah. it was probably Rico's, it, it was probably him. Um, I don't, I don't know. Now tell us about the charity single Paris in Spring that came out. So Paris and Spring, I'll tell you a little bit about the history of Paris and Spring. So that is one of the songs that was from my second album mm -hmm. that never came out. Um, and Dwayne Wiggins from Tony, 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 who, who sang on that record with me, the, mm -hmm. the benefit record, um, always really liked that song. I mean, um, from back in the day. And then when I ended up not putting putting out a second album, he asked to use it with a, another artist and he did. So it's been actually recorded with a couple different artists. Um, but when the, um, when the attack happened at the Bataclan and it was a, a, a American band that was playing from Palm Springs, right? It was just, um, it, really affected me. This was before these kinds of things were like a regular occurrence, right? Now yeah. it's like, oh, that's what happens all the time, right? There's yeah. terrorist events all the time. People are getting killed all the time. Yeah. Um, I think we've become quite desensitized at this point, but it's not normal. And, um, and to kill these innocent people who are just going out, just music lovers. I mean, it was, it, it tore my heart apart. So mm -hmm. um, I, the only thing I could think of to do is I have the song, Paris and Spring, maybe I can use that and try to um, raise some money and raise some awareness. I did a, a video um, showing the photos that I was able to get a hold of, of some of the victims mm -hmm. from the attack. You can see just all these beautiful young people whose lives are just, cut short and all their families and loved ones who had to live without them from then on. It's just, it's, I, I, um, I'm not a, I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in violence. Mm -hmm. um, so anything that I can do to stand up for victims of violence that I, I would try to do that when I can. it's good to see um when you know you you utilize what you have available to make a difference and yeah i think it was a beautiful thing i know i was Thank gonna you. i was gonna be all light and fluffy and i'm like oh sorry <laughs> it's like it's so sad no, but you know the other the, the fun thing about that here's the fun thing mm -hmm. um is that i had a lot of great friends who who volunteered to work on that record mm -hmm. um so it's a very um 
was a really positive experience doing it. It was the first time I've ever produced my own record. Oh, congratulations. So, um, thank you. Uh, so that was really, that was really cool. And I was, um, one of the other writers uh, is the, does the percussion on that record, John Bendick. He's mm -hmm. a phenomenal writer. I love uh, working with him. And um, he wrote a couple other songs on the, on the second album too that you guys will be hearing. So he's an amazing writer. Yes. So he, he was on there and Troy Lampkin is a bass player and um, Jubu Smith um, and Dwayne played on the record. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to hear all the new music. Ah, so excited. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. I hope I'm, I hope it's well received. I really just want, you know, for me, that um, it's kind of like a closure. Like I want, as a musician, this is this a hard thing about not releasing music is as a musician, as a songwriter, you know, this stuff just comes to you, right? The music just kind of comes to you. And then you kind of have this feeling of like, it's your job. Like these are messages that are coming to you that are the, your job is to put out into the world, right? To share it with people. Mm -hmm. So that's the very frustrating thing about not being in a position to be able to put any music out because you, you feel like you're falling down on your job. Well, it's like you're trying to release, it's like you're trying to release the, that, that it's like a therapeutic feeling writing and try to get that out into the world, but it's like, Hey, I can't get it out there. Right. I, yeah. It's almost like being, you know, tongue tied. Yeah and not being able to speak. So I'm excited and, and I also want, um, you know, I wanna share with my fans what, what was happening at that time. You know, the music that I was working on, that I was passionate about, that I wanted to, to come out. And, um, you know, Giant wasn't feeling it. They didn't want me to do that. Cassandra wanted me to work with Howie T and make a new Jack Swing record, like Color Me Bad. And that was just not gonna be not going to work for me. You know, it's too, it's very hard work, the music business, um, working or being out on tour and not, not so much the, the club MTV tour where we, we had buses and we were going across, you know, that. So when you're, you know, on the tour, it's cool. Cause you have your, you have buses and you have hotels and it's, you know, you can sleep on the bus and it's, it's not that hard mm -hmm. when you're doing promotional tours and going to radio stations and doing shows you are in a different city every single day. Mm -hmm. The first thing you do, so you, you get up at like 4 a.m., get to the, to the um, radio station and, or get to, the, get to the airport, get on a plane, go to your next city, get picked up by the uh, people from the radio station that you're there promoting. And um, they take you to the station, you do drops, and you do an interview on the station. Then you go to lunch with those people. Then you go to the venue and you do... Uh, sound check at the venue. Then you get to your hotel room, you get to rest mm -hmm. and get yourself ready to go have dinner with the radio people and then do a meet and greet and do a performance and then hang out and go to bed, get four hours of sleep and get on a plane, do the same thing the next day. It's yeah. a lot of work. It's hard, it's not like yeah. glamorous, it's a hard job. You know, it's not a, not an easy job. Yep. Um, so it's not the kind of thing you want to do unless you really love it, love what you're doing and love the music that you're doing and, and feel good about everything that you're doing. So I wasn't willing to do music that I wasn't into. Um, and I wasn't getting paid, you know, I didn't get paid by the label. I, I got $15,000 advanced money from the label. I never got another dime from them. Mm -hmm. That's not a lot. So, no, that's not a lot. Mm -mm. And I worked hard. Yeah. So it doesn't give you a lot of incentive. Like, okay, you can't, I'm not going to pay you. You can't do the music you want to do. And we want to package you like a tramp. Mm. Selling so, sex instead of music. Sex and violence, yeah. yeah. Cassandra Mills actually literally word, word for word. This was this was the breaking point for me with Giant Records. And actually, I really liked Irving. And I really liked the team, the radio team. They were all great. 
But Cassandra Mills said to me, to my face, I see you uh, wearing a black lace teddy, carrying an Uzi and acting like a black girl from the ghetto. Like my dad's an orthodontist, right? Like, what do I know about pretending to be a, a black girl from the ghetto and why, why? Mm -hmm. Is that not insulting? Not to me, but I mean, to my fans or to anybody, like, why would you do that? It just seemed weird. And um, they knew that I was a pacifist. They knew that I didn't uh, believe in promoting violence or um, guns and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah that was weird. Um, so yeah, it's a, that's a lot. It, it's a big ask to ask yeah. somebody to work for free and not do what they want to do. No kidding. into a question I had about uh, being a female in the business and just being like a women, women in general, sometimes we tend to tear each other down instead of lift each other, like in a mm -hmm. situation like that, what can we do as women to help each other and lift each other? Do, just do that, help each other and lift each other and, and not be trying to, you know, mm -hmm. The reason why men have been successful, that whole old boys network, that's real. They support each other. They give business to each other. They help each other out. Mm. Women tend to be in competition for the attention of men. Bingo. Rather than being supportive of each other to bring each other up in business together. And that's a problem. And when you have a woman like, um, like for instance, Cassandra Mills, very powerful. She was doing very well in the business. She'd had a lot of success with Cover Me Bad. Um, and this woman, let me tell you, who said that to me, it was about six feet tall, blackberry skin, most beautiful black woman I've probably ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. Braids down to her ass, like stunning, mm -hmm. beautiful, intelligent woman. Why would she come at me with that kind of thing? Wear a black lace teddy and carry an Uzi? Like, do you and think then that, act like somebody? <laughs> what? Does, does that seem like something that she would sincerely think, or that she was once again in the position where because the men will like this? I think that the whole agenda at that time was promoting this whole thug life kind of vibe, mm. which was clearly not where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. um, I never, I never I, got a thug life type of feeling from you or your music. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, no, no. But they just, I think they, I think it was weird, you know. I, you know, nowadays, all different type of people sing R&B music and it's widely accepted. Mm -hmm. But that was not the case in those days. So the only other white American female singer who had that kind of success on R&B radio prior to me was Tina Marie. Mm. You know, we didn't have Christina Aguilera at that time. Yeah. Um, and they didn't know what to do with me. Um, they almost didn't put my, in, in fact, if you look at the picture on the album, you can see I'm like pretty much covered up. You can barely see my face. They weren't going to put my, my picture on the record at all. 
So they basically wanted to hide the fact that I was white because prior to my record, okay, remember Jane Child? Yes. Remember Jane Child? Okay, remember that song? Who yeah. didn't love that song? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, well, when uh, it came to light that she was white, the all the, you know, she was doing really well on urban radio or at the, we don't call it urban radio anymore. But at that time it was called urban radio. Yeah. R&B radio. So at, she was doing a, pretty well and her video came out and they saw that she was white and suddenly she wasn't going anywhere on the um, R&B charts. Mm. She dropped off. So they were concerned about the fact that I was white and singing R&B music. And I, I think they just didn't know what to do. You know, they kind of had this The music, the the executives of the music industry are always trying to create a formula, right? Oh, there's going to be a formula to make it happen. And and there really isn't a formula. You just, a song's either a hit or it's not a hit, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way that you can predict what's going to be a hit. No, absolutely not. You can't. And you can't really manufacture it. So, but they try, they think they can, (laughs) and they do try. Do you think now it's easier to just have an artist be themselves finally? Well, I think that that's what's being promoted now. I think that now our culturally, we are encouraging individuality, which fantastic. How great is that? Right. Mm -hmm. We all, everybody has uniqueness about them. That's the greatest thing about people, right? And so instead of trying to manufacture somebody into something, people are being encouraged to be themselves. You see, I'm a huge fan of all these um, music competition shows, right? Oh yeah. I love The Voice. I love that thing from the moment I heard about, before I ever saw it, there's the concept of it alone, being that I had so many issues with my appearance in the business. and not just being white, it was being white and curvy, both not things they wanted to deal with. <laughs> so, um, or they, or that they knew how to market. They didn't know how to market it, right? Um, Whatever, you looked hot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All the guys were like, actually, I have some friends, some friends were, I was telling them that I was gonna be talking to you and they're just like, she's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, thank you. So yeah, it was really cool. But thank anyways, you. But it, it, yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, so I love those shows and, and um, uh, American Idol and all that stuff. And one of the things that's so great is that all of these people are really being encouraged to be themselves. And everybody has unique qualities to their voice, to the way they approach music. Um, so that is really exciting to me, just mm-hmm. that to see the atmosphere changing around artistry Mm. so that people really can um, be themselves and that the audience and the fans can choose what they respond, you know, what they, whatever they respond to, you know? And I, and mostly I think people respond to authenticity. You know, you can spot a fake a mile away. Look at, uh, for instance, someone like Ed Sheeran, who has a very average look about him, and right. he's just absolutely fantastic artist. What right? an amazing talent! Oh Lord, like I his don't know. writing, his singing is—he's incredible. He's refreshing, you know. And just like you said, it's some—someone who's authentic and actually talented and real. And it's nice to see that things have evolved to that point. I think. Well, I mean, the other the other thing about music, the cool there's so many cool things about music. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, I love music, <laughs> but um, music is like the great connector, mm-hmm. right? It is the universal language. But the other cool thing about music is that when you are all like, if you're in a, a live situation and everybody is listening to that music and watching that performance, everybody is doing the same thing at the same time right? We're all connected mm-hmm. and all feeling that, that vibration of whatever that music is giving you. 
So there's a connection feeling that you get in those live situations that it that you can't get anywhere else, mm. right? That's one of the things that's so difficult right now with this pandemic mm. and us not being able to commune with each other mm-hmm. and connect in that way in a large group. There's something very healing about that feeling. Yeah. You know, that's why we like to go to clubs. That's why we like to go to concerts. It feels good. Mm-hmm. It's uplifting. You know, it feels good to be connected to other people. We want it. We crave it. And hear we the roar it. of the crowd, the excitement, the adrenaline and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we'll get it's there. good for us. We've got to get we there. We will. We will get there. <laughs> it's, it's changing. It reminds me too. I mean, it's, it's good. We, we always find a way to make it happen anyway. People do, you know. What's a concert you attended that changed your life? really affected you just like really positive experience for you um it's really hard to say there i've just seen some pretty amazing performances mm-hmm. um wow i don't know who i would say was a life-changing experience i think that um when I was really young, when I was in um, high school, I went and saw, um, I was a big Sheena Easton fan. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So I went and saw her and she blew me away. She was incredible, incredible vocalist, great stage presence. And I think she was the first like diva that I saw perform. You know, solo female artist that I saw live. So that was impactful for me. Did it give you that drive that this is what you want to do? I knew I wanted to do it long before that. Yeah, I've I've been doing this since I was a kid. I started playing piano when I was like four. Yeah. So I've been, you know, this has been a dream of mine my whole life. I started going to acting school when I was nine. I mean, it was my lifelong dream. Well, I've just been so happy to have this chat with you today. Um, it was I'm thankful for that you uh, connected with me, that we got to get into contact I'm, and have, make this happen. So I'm, I'm glad really, we were able to finally make it happen. Too. I really appreciate your time today. And before we wrap things up, I just wanted to make sure that we plug. Um, I'll be putting all the links out where people can find your music and Great. what's coming up. Um, I'll be playing some clips in the show too. Um, did you have anything else you want to let everybody know about the music that's coming out, like the timeline and everything like that? Um, we should be getting the... Um... The remastered single should be coming out in the first quarter. Probably the vintage material probably be coming out in the first quarter. Um, but I have a bunch of different things up my sleeve and we'll see kind of how it pans out. I'm not quite sure when what's gonna come out or how I'm gonna be putting everything out. So that's still a little bit up in the air. Okay. Um, Cause I'm not sure I'm gonna be putting everything out as um, for sale i may be putting some stuff out for free nice. so stay tuned you know please join my instagram and um or if you're a facebook person join my my facebook page and and stay connected and i will be letting letting everyone know what's happening and when and um giving you some little teasers along the way too here's the links to find everything tara kemp's doing with her new music you can check out her twitter page at Tara Kemp underscore TK. Tara Kemp is T-A-R-A-K-E-M-P. Also her Instagram, Tara Kemp Original, all one word. And her Facebook official page is at Tara Kemp Official on Facebook. Thank you again, Tara, for being on the show. Make sure you stop by her Facebook official page and Instagram. Give her a follow and show her some love. She's fantastic. Next week on the show, my good friend Scott Green, who is a recording engineer, producer extraordinaire, as well as he has his own um, cocktails at home page. We're going to tell you all about um, his Instagram and his YouTube channel and the things he's doing creatively. He's going to be my co-host next week. And we're going to speak to one of the Canadian rock legends, a big voice (laughs) in rock music here in Canada from the band Slick Toxic, Nicholas Walsh is going to be on the show. So until then, you guys take care and we'll see you soon. Bye. 
Follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia, Instagram, Dope underscore Nostalgia, or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.